Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I drive a 2010 Mazda 6. It's parked right over here. Mazda only made the look of my car for two years, which is very short for a model year. And I'm not really sure why. Um, Maybe it didn't sell very well. I liked it, obviously. But it could also be that it had kind of two problems with its front end, which is mostly what they changed. One of them was the headlights. They look cool, but they are crummy headlights when it comes to doing what a headlight does, which is light the road at night. So when I was driving my car and I had the original headlights in, I mean, it was, it was bad. And not only was it that I couldn't see, but Joan constantly was riding me on this. This is like driving with two candles out in front of you. I would hear that every time. And I'm, I'm not saying she was wrong. I just said, I, I get it already, you know. So I went and found some brighter aftermarket halogens. And these were tough to put in. You had to take the, the wheel off and you had to take the, the wheel lining out and put those halogens in. I thought, this has got to be better. An itty-bitty bit better. Still not good enough. So years went on. And finally, they came out with a real bright uh, LED. Once again, off comes the tires. In goes the new bulb. And ah, I was blind at night, but now I see. And I no longer hit people walking in my neighborhood at night, you know. Uh, It has changed. Now, why do I tell you about my car? I'm not selling it. That's what you're thinking. I'm going to use it as a metaphor. One of three that we'll have today. Because the text that we're going to look at also has two very important metaphors. And when you talk about spiritual things, a lot of times it's hard to just talk directly about them. There's this more memorable, more attainable, I would say, to talk about it in metaphorical ways. And they're important ones, too. They speak about why you are even still on the planet Earth. Why, as Christians, you haven't already been translated to heaven, which would be far better off for you. But you got a job to do here, so it's good that you'd understand it. Take a look at the gospel lesson for today. That's where we're going to find these metaphors. Jesus starts, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, we, we steal this metaphor and misuse it. We say of people who are kind of homesy, Yeah, the real salt of the earth kind of guys, you know. That isn't really what this means. In what way are we like salt? Salt does a lot of stuff. Do we make the world tastier to God? Well, kind of. Salt preserves, or has been used to preserve foods, especially meats. 
Do we preserve the world somehow? Again, kind of. This week, we probably used it to melt ice. Are we ice melters? No, not at all. But there is another use for salt that you may not be aware of. The Jewish people, when they brought an offering to God that was meant to be just a thank you offering, it wasn't, it wasn't an offering that you gave because of your sins. It was an offering to praise God. It would be a grain offering. And in the grain offering, they would mix salt. Now, the idea wasn't so that God could eat it like a bag of sunflower seeds or something like that. It had, it had its own metaphorical meaning. In Jewish culture, salt represents righteousness or holiness. They have the same thing for sin. It's yeast, in this case, representing sin. And so it was kind of a way of saying this. I bring you a sacrificial offering to thank you, but I realize that it isn't of that much value to you. It needs something It needs added righteousness. You are, or can be anyway, the added righteousness that our society needs. In two ways, really. When you live as as a disciple of Jesus should live, when you show mercy to people, when you express love to people, when you encourage people, when you hold a high moral standard, that impacts other people in a positive way. It makes society work better. But the bigger way is this. You make it tolerable to God. God in his righteousness is very offended by by a lot of human ways. And how, how humans, how Americans conduct themselves. And there is a long history of God being very, very patient with nations, but having that patience wear out. And when it wears out, look out. He's going to disperse a nation like that. He's going to destroy it. It'll be just something in a history book. It's very much like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know that story? You know, God was going to come down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but but Abraham tried to intervene, and and he talks God down and says, you're not going to destroy it for 50 people, and you're not going to destroy it for 40 people. And he gets all the way down to 10, and God says, no, you know, there's 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah I will let the whole thing stay, as offensive as it is, for that ten people. Unfortunately, for Sodom and Gomorrah, the magic number was six. And God evacuated the six and leveled Sodom and Gomorrah. You and I, we're the salt in the offering. As long as we're salty... Now, I realize salty has taken on another meaning, you know. We're not talking about the, the current use of salty. We're talking about you living righteously, even if it makes you very, very different than 
the rest of the people in our society. You're not doing it to seem self-righteous. You're not doing it to show off. You may be doing it to give an example, but in the end, you're doing it because God wants you to. And if you lose that saltiness, what good are you for this task? That's his point. Now, he asks a, a rhetorical question here. If, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And, and you would swear that the answer here is going to be, well, it can't. But actually, I mean, if salt became contaminated and lost its saltiness, you can go through chemical processes and make it salty again. So that's a yes. And can you do that with humans or Christians who have lost their saltiness? Yes. They can repent and they can live again as they know God wants them to. And even this is true if a person falls away from faith altogether. They completely lost their connection to Christ. Think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a person who walked away. He was lost. And yet somehow he comes back. He's brought back to repentance. But how is he brought back? Through a terrible, terrible trial. That is much like what God does with whole societies sometimes. So you don't want society to have to go through that, and you certainly don't want yourself to go through that. Your role is to be salt. Then there's another one. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, light is used as a metaphor quite frequently in Scripture. It's kind of got a range of meaning. It goes all the way from representing the truth about God to representing the goodness of God And you have a chance, as a person who's been saved by Christ, to be both. To be a reflection of God wherever you are. In fact, God wants you to do that. He needs you to do that. And the people out there need you to do that, and they probably need it the most. Right? Now, some people say, I think religion should be a private thing. I'm going to strongly disagree. If you think that, I'm not going to say, well, you know. No, I'm just going to say, you are wrong. If it was meant to be private, you'd be out of here. It is meant to be public. Now, there's private aspects. Sure, prayer is private. Doing good deeds are not supposed to be announced out loud. That is private. But as far as keeping back the fact that you are a disciple of Jesus, as far as keeping back doing God's work here in this world and speaking about what Jesus has done on the cross, that is not to be private at all. It's going to be 
hopefully as public as, as God makes it possible to be public. And the two other readings that we had today give you some great ideas as to how that can be true. And in Isaiah 58, our Old Testament reading, it gives like a running list of what God would like if you want your light to be actions. Now, he starts off, if you look at Isaiah 58, telling, telling us what he doesn't want, what he's not interested in. And that's putting it lightly. What he's offended by, that's more like it. He doesn't want religious actions, like even coming to church. If it's just going to be a facade, if tomorrow you're going to go back and abuse your family or take advantage of workers or take advantage of employers or whatever, where there's this big hypocritical gap, God is not interested However, he does have some ideas of, and he puts it in terms of a fast here, but these are the kinds of things that he's interested in. He says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen, in verse 6, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Throughout the Old Testament, the topic of justice is huge. And where we have the opportunity to do something about that, we should. What kind of injustice? Every kind of injustice. Is abortion an injustice to the unborn? Indeed it is. And, and that's very much on our radar. But because of the unfortunate and, to me, very annoying uh, political divide in our country, we sometimes overlook other forms of injustice that God does care about. Does he care about people being hurt by the police? Yeah. Now, he's supportive of police if they do their job. But if we got a situation like we had in Memphis the past week, that's, that's injustice. You, don't, you shouldn't get beaten to death for a traffic stop, ever. How about abusive workers? That should never happen. Not, not anywhere, especially not in our country. What about stuff outside of our country? Not our job? Not necessarily so. We need to look at people's lives and look for ways that they are hurt. They are treated by injustice. And if we can intervene in any way, including down to prayer, then, then that is what God says he's interested in. He says more. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter and when you see the naked to clothe them? You know, we got this blossoming problem of homelessness. Now, do people who find themselves homeless, are they often somewhat accountable themselves? Yeah, 
in a lot of cases I find that they are, is that a reason to not do anything for them? No. There's a guy I've been trying to help using our alms resources. There are plenty of reasons for me to kick him to the curb. There really is. He has made a host of stupid decisions, offensive decisions, yet he's a human being. So you got to try to do what you can. And then he says also to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. The old phrase, charity begins at home, is, is a godly thing. You know, you can't be out there caring for the homeless and fighting injustice and neglecting your kids. No, you got to take care of your kids, and then with whatever resources more you got, you get your handle out there. That's light in action. And you might say, well, light in action's got to be the most important thing. Well, only in urgent sense, only in the short term, is that true? Because God's got some bigger problem to deal with, and that's eternity. Hunger, injustice, any of those things, they're all going to be gone when Jesus comes again. And none of it's going to matter when we leave this earth. But certainly having atonement for your sins so that you can stand before God matters a lot. And so being light in word cannot be neglected. And you can't just pass it off to others. You are in unique spots. You have relationships that, that I don't have. So it falls on all of us. And our epistle talks about the fact that the God's plan of salvation through Jesus, that he's going to pay for the whole sins of the world. He's going to keep the law himself. He's going to take care of that by dying on the cross. And now there is a promise held out to everybody, anybody who will believe it. That really matters. It was a mystery in the past because God had to keep it somewhat foggy for uh, an enemy's sake. But now it's, it's all out there and it needs to get out there. So my question to you is this, how should Redeemer take care of being salt and light? And I'm talking about us as individuals in every place that we go and us as a group who are intersecting each other by being a part of this church. How should we do that? It starts with personal, humble saltiness, obedience to God. We need to be different than the world and that should be fine. But then it, you know, it spills out and you need to think about the circles of influence that you have. And they are actually bigger than probably what you often think. I did this again for myself, looking at the people I have influence over that are not just people from the congregation. And I realized I got way more to do than, than, I, than I thought I did.
So you think about your family and your friends, and you ask yourself, which of them probably are not connected to Christ, are are not showing a connection to Christ. Somehow you might be a light source for them, and you might be the light source for them. The only one, at least for the moment. You think about your coworkers or the kids you go to school with, that's the case. Or the adults you go to school with, if that's the case. What kind of relationship do you have there? Could it possibly be that God needs you to bring up a conversation, to be bold enough, to care enough, to just get the information about Jesus' life and Jesus' purpose? That's all you have to do. You don't have to beat every objection they have to it. You can't create faith. God does that, but but you can bring valuable information. Do you live next door to anybody, or are you like thousands of miles from anybody else? I mean, I got neighbors. Do I know them all? I don't. Have I spoken to all of them about Jesus? I haven't. But we all should. And then there's other people in our life, you know, the ones that we intersect once in a while. If you care about them, then bring them light. And we together can connect to a broader circle than that, and we can interconnect. You know, a lot of you, a lot of, well, a lot of you, me too, you know, we're, we're kind of fearful about doing stuff like this. There's a social taboo about it. And, and we wonder if we're going to say the right thing or do the right thing. So sometimes the easiest thing is just to invite people. And the goal isn't to grow the church so much. I mean, that'd be great if it happened. But the, the goal is eternal life for a person. That's what's the goal. So it is not a small thing. So if we can connect with each other and connect with our neighbors, our family, our friends, our coworkers in ways that will help help them come closer to Christ, what God can use to bring them to Christ, then we should do it. We should make every opportunity we can make. We should take advantage of every opportunity we have. And oddly enough, you and I, we live at a time and a place where we can readily have impact way far away from us, across the planet, via the internet, via the fact that there's immigrants, via the fact that there's foreign students, Um, And we've had impact in all of those as a congregation. I just want to have more. And I hope you feel the same way. Because once again, it is not about advancing an institution. It is not about advancing an, an ideology. It is about connecting people with the being who made them. 
and giving to them the most valuable thing, eternal life. So, back to my headlights. You are like my headlights. You look really good. Sometimes you don't work that great, though. Yeah. Sometimes we could complain. Yeah, that's like two candles out in front of the car. I can't see anything. So maybe you need a little brighter bulb on the inside, a little stronger conviction about what we are all doing. And we may change the bulb on you as hard as that can be sometimes, but is still not bright enough. So we got to get to the really bright bulb. And to push this metaphor a little bit further, if you have a car, you will notice that your headlights are not made of glass. They are made of plastic, unless you're driving something from the 50s. And those plastic ones are nice, except they fog up, right? If I go out and look at your headlights right now, are they clear or do they look like toenail fungus? So that kind of be also metaphorically. When we, when we let the concerns of this world build up on us, then we just become this clouded headlight that isn't much of use at all. It's kind of gross, actually. But that can be fixed. It can be fixed really fast. But it doesn't stay fixed unless you take care of it. So... We want to address the things that keep us back from the gospel, from spreading the gospel, whether it be fear or lack of love or prejudice or whatever it all is. It needs to come off. And that, by the way, is one way you can get your headlights clear. Spray off on it and rub it. Gone in a second. So remember those two things. What you're here for. You are here to be salt You are here to be light. In Jesus' name, amen.